Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 36. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord and the land of Egypt, and we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can. You you shall each eat an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part, parts of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they, got, they gathered twice as much as bread, two omers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not sink, and there was no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today. 
for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations. So, they may be, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years, till they came to a hab- habitable land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning, family of God. I'm just glad y'all look joyful this morning. Praise the Lord for that. I want to pray one more time. Could you bow your heads with me? Let's ask God to... Help us in a special way this morning and teach us. Our Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift of Holy Scripture. You didn't have to speak to us, but you loved us, so you sent these words of life to teach us. And I pray this morning that nothing inside of us or nothing in our circumstances will hinder us from hearing the Word of God with faith and understanding. Help us to grow wiser today. Help us to grow closer to Jesus today. Strengthen us to persevere in a life of faith with thanksgiving. Please bless these saints. Refresh and encourage everyone here, Lord. And if there's anybody here today with a heavy heart, I pray that you'd give them encouragement. If there's anybody here who has deep wounds, I pray that you'd bring healing. If there's anybody here who doesn't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that by grace you would give them faith in Christ today and understanding of the gospel. Please strengthen us all and teach us so we can do your will for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, in our scriptural text today, we find God's people still in the wilderness. That's where we left them last week. They're in the desert. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They are really hot. If you use your imagination, you might be able to relate to them. Everybody got their bulletins out in the Sinai Desert, fanning themselves. They're starting to get grumpy. It's a situation of significant need. And as, it, as they find themselves in this situation of significant need, God's people have a choice. On one hand, they can trust God. They can trust God, and this situation of great need can be an opportunity to grow in faith and to experience God's grace and faithfulness meeting them at their point of need. Or they can choose to sin and rebel and complain, which is what they end up doing. Today we're going to talk about 
Israel's sin, the sin of God's people, and we're going to talk about the goodness of God even in the midst of their sin. Those are the two themes for today. We're going to look at the sin of Israel because their sin is like a mirror for us to show us our own sinful tendencies. So hopefully we can learn from that example and do better. But really, we want to focus on the goodness of God today, because what we see in this text is a reminder that God is good even when everything is terrible. Even when everything is going badly, you can trust God. Even when your circumstances are horrible, the promises of God are reliable. So everybody turn to your neighbor and say, God is good even when everything is terrible. Now, as followers of Jesus, that's a message that we need to remember if we're going to be faithful and fruitful over the long haul. Because if somebody ever told you, if you trust Jesus, everything's going to be great for the rest of your life, that person lied to you. It's not true. There are going to be days in your life in which your circumstances are horrible, even if you trust Jesus. Anybody been there? Somebody want to say amen? There's going to be times of discouragement. There's going to be times of difficulty. And in those moments, we are going to have a choice. Are we going to rebel against God? Are we going to sin against God? Or are we going to trust in the Lord and grow through the circumstances? In your family, there's going to be times where things are going terrible. Where it feels like all trust has been broken. And the affection that used to bind you together has evaporated. And in those moments, we need to remember, God is still good, even when everything is terrible. His promises are still reliable. In your personal walk with God, you may go through seasons, short seasons, or even extended seasons, in which it feels like God is absent. When you pray, it just feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and coming back to you. When you open up your Bible, it feels dry. And... It's going to be important for you to remember, even when it feels like that, like everything is going terrible in your spiritual life, God is still good, and His promises are still reliable. In ministry, there's going to be seasons like that. You're sharing the gospel faithfully with people. You're trying to pass on what you've learned from the Word of God to make disciples, to mentor people. You're working to bring God's heart of mercy and justice and reconciliation into your community so that people who are hurting can find hope and healing. And you're doing your part to partner with God's work to take those same ministry efforts to other parts of the world so that all the nations can worship God. You're doing all that stuff and nothing seems to be going right. You can't see any spiritual fruit. People that you thought were going to walk with God for the rest of their lives fall away. This is not hypothetical. Some of you have been there, haven't you? And you feel discouraged and you feel like giving up. And in those moments, you need to remember this lesson. Everybody turn to your neighbor one more time. Say, when everything is terrible, God is still good. Friends, He's still our provider. He's going to give us everything that we need physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. He's going to provide what we need. He is going to keep His promises. He will not abandon us in the wilderness. That's what the text is about. Now, to help us understand this point, I want to start by considering in a bit more detail 
Israel's situation and their sinful response to that situation. The situation we already summarized. They're out in the desert. They're out in the wilderness. They don't know where their food is going to come from. They don't have a reliable water source. It's men, women, and children. It's young and old. It's pregnant ladies. It's hard out there. That's their situation. And how do they respond? Our answer tells us, I mean, our our text tells us the answer to that question by repeating a certain word seven times. You probably caught it. It's this word grumble or grumbled or grumbling. Let's look at those instances. Verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, but that wasn't really what they were mad at. They weren't mad primarily at Moses and Aaron. We get the real diagnosis in verse 7. Skip down to verse 7. Moses is talking and he says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against... Who? Against the Lord. That's who they're really grumbling against. For what are we that you grumble against us? I missed that one. There's eight. I circled the other seven. The word grumbling appears in this text a lot. Skipping down to verse 8 now. When the Lord gives you... In the evening, meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against Him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then in verse 9, come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. That doesn't sound like a good summons, does it? He has heard your grumbling. Then verse 12, God now says, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. So their sin comes in the form of grumbling. Everybody say grumbling. Grumbling. They're complaining. They're griping. They're mad and they're looking for somebody to blame. They're frustrated about their situations and so they complain. The New Testament warns us frequently against this sin tells us to do everything without complaining and arguing, warns us not to grumble against God like the people of Israel did in the wilderness. We can see the psychology of sin more clearly in verse 3. I want to look at that verse and meditate on it for a moment before we move on to look at the goodness of God in the midst of this terrible situation. Verse 3 says, The people of Israel said to them, that is to Moses and Aaron, Would that we had died... By the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Did you catch what just happened right there? For centuries these people were slaves and they were crying out. They were groaning and saying, Lord, deliver us. And God delivered them. He brought them out of their captivity. He brought them through the Red Sea when the Egyptian armies tried to chase them down and re-enslave them. God sent the pillar of cloud to protect them. Then God sent the waters of the Red Sea down on the armies of Israel. Just last week we learned about when they had no water to drink, God did a miracle to purify a, a water source that, was making, that would make people sick, but God kept them safe and healed them, and then He took them to an oasis where there was plenty of water. God has guarded them, He's guided them, He's protected them, He's provided for them, and they're saying, would that we would have died as slaves. Wow. And they say, when they're saying they wish we would have lived and died as slaves, they said, they're saying this, at least in Egypt... 
we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. We had plenty to eat. Slavery wasn't so bad, is what they're saying right now. At least we had something to eat. An abundance of food. And now we've brought us out into the wilderness to, to die, to kill us with hunger. You see, here's what I want you to recognize. The sin of unbelief has distorted their vision of reality. The sin of unbelief has distorted their vision of reality. Let me try and say this several different ways to drive the point home. When we choose to walk in sin, we will be unreasonable. When we choose to rebel against God, we will not see the truth clearly. We might call ourselves realists. We might say we're just being rational or logical. That's what they were saying. Look, we had plenty to eat back there. We're going to die of hunger here. Just put two and two together. That's, that's what they're saying. They think they're being realistic. They think they're being rational. But their math doesn't add up. They are exaggerating, romanticizing the situation in Egypt to make it sound not as bad as what it was. They were getting beaten. They had no freedom. They were fed enough to keep them working all day. That was why they had meat pots. Pharaoh knew they needed enough protein to keep working all day. But there was no joy. There was no freedom in this life. They've exaggerated the goodness of their former slavery. or Which is a weird sentence to even say. They are blind to how destructive and horrible that situation was. They're exaggerating whatever good components were a part of it. And they're also exaggerating the direness of their current situation because though they're thinking of themselves as realists, they have left one important thing out of the equation, and it, it's God. They left God out of the equation. God, who has shown himself to be a faithful provider over and over again. God, who just showed his power and his steadfast love. In the past, he has been faithful to them. He has given them promises for the present and the future. But they are forgetting God, and so their vision of reality is skewed. They're not seeing the situation clearly. We can stand back from a distance and just read the story and objectively say, what are they talking about? These people are so whiny. What are they thinking? But before we point the fingers at them, let's just make it personal for a second. Friend, when you don't want to trust God, your vision of reality is distorted. When we don't trust God, when we don't walk by faith, when we allow the sin of unbelief to get a root in our heart, we might think of ourselves as being realists. We might think we're really smart, but we're fools. Sin distorts our vision. If you want to deal with reality, you need to start by trusting God. The way Paul talks about it in Romans 1 is that People knew God because God had revealed his truth to them, but they chose not to trust God. They wanted to go after their own pleasures. They wanted to trust in themselves and glorify the creature rather than the creator. And because of that, Paul says they became futile in their thinking. Their desires became corrupt. I think the pride of man just needs to be humbled here. Sometimes we think we're smart. We argue with God. We argue with the Bible. We argue with people that God would send to help us get back on track because we think we're smart. But if we're walking in sin, we're fools and we can't see clearly. If you want to see reality clearly, repent and trust the Lord. In this text, they can't see reality clearly. 
So they're grumbling against God, they're complaining, they're projecting their frustrations with God out on other people. So what does God do in this situation? What's amazing is in this mess of sin, confusion, unbelief, distorted thinking, grumbling, and broken relationships, because now they're grumbling at each other, what God does is God graciously chooses to reveal His glory. Now the word glory shows up twice in this text and it's an important word. Everybody say the glory of God. God. Let me show you the two places it shows up. Verse 7 and verse 10. Verse 7, Moses says, And in the morning you shall see the glory of God. You might underline that phrase, the glory of the Lord. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Then in verse 10 we read this. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Let's talk about what that means. First, let's try and define this word glory. What are we talking about when we talk about the glory of God? I'm going to give you a definition which might not make sense, then I'm going to explain it, and then it might make sense. So you can write down the definition if you want to. Here's the definition. The definition is this. When we talk about the glory of God, what we're talking about is a perceivable, meaning you can see it or hear it or touch it or smell it, a perceivable manifestation of God's transcendent goodness. A perceivable manifestation of God's transcendent goodness. Now let me try to explain what that means. God is good all the time. We should do that little thing church people do. Here we go. Everybody, God is good. And all the time. But the Bible teaches that even though God is always good, we can't always see God's goodness. Sin blinds us. That's what's happening in this text. God has shown himself to be a faithful provider, but sin has blinded them from seeing it. Moreover, there are certain circumstances in which God in his wisdom is doing something good, but he hasn't allowed us to fully see it because he's teaching us to trust him. So that's why I call this God's transcendent goodness. Everybody say that word. Say transcendent. The word transcendent just means beyond, beyond our capacity to see or think or imagine. God is good all the time, but sometimes we can't see his goodness. Sometimes we can't understand what he's up to. Have you ever had a circumstance in your life where you look back and you see that God was at work, but when you were walking through something, it was like, felt like God had abandoned you? We're talking about God's transcendent goodness. He's good, but we can't see it. So when we say a perceivable manifestation of God's transcendent goodness, here's what we mean. God is always good whether we can see it or not. But sometimes God acts in a way that his goodness becomes just clear and obvious and visible in order to get our attention and show show us something. And in this text, God does that in two different ways. Verse 10 He continues to make his goodness visible in this cloud of glory. We've read about the cloud before, but by day, a cloud is going before the people, and at night, it lights up, it becomes a pillar of flame. And this, we've already seen that the cloud is 
guiding the people. They're supposed to follow it. But we've also already seen that the cloud is guarding the people because when the Egyptians attacked them, the cloud came and got between them and their enemies. So the cloud is a visible reminder. They can see it with their eyes that God is with them to guide them and to guard them. So everybody turn to your neighbor and say, God is with you. He will guide you. He will guard you. That's one manifestation of God's glory. The other one in this text in verse 7 is different. When verse 7 says, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, it's not talking about the cloud, it's talking about the manna. It's talking about this bread from heaven that we read about in verse 31. The word manna, by the way, sounds like the, the Hebrew words for what is it? When the people come down... Or when the, bread, when the people first see the bread, they say, what is it? And then they name it that. What is it? For 40 years they're eating, what is it? So that's what the word manna means. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. There have been lots of scholars who have tried to give some sort of scientific explanation for this bread, and none of them make any sense, especially because it shows up six days a week for 40 years, and it never shows up again, and it doesn't show up on the Sabbath, and it goes bad the next day unless it's on the Sabbath. This is a miracle. We're talking about a miracle here. We're talking about miracle bread, not the kind you buy in a store. Different kind of miracle bread. But what, the reason that Moses refers to this bread as the glory of God, Zipporah, would you please bring me some of that cold water? Because I'm about to pass out and die up here, and Chauncey would finish the sermon, which would probably be better. But thank you. <laughs> We're going to be all right, then. <clears throat> Get encouragement from the back. Everybody else tried and they were like, hey man. (laughs) (laughs) Miracle bread. Okay, what are we talking about? Glory of God. There we go. (laughs) Moses calls the manna, the bread, the glory of God because for 40 years, every time they see it, they're going to have a visible revelation of a truth that was true even when they couldn't see it. Namely, God is their provider. God is their provider. When we sit down to eat meals at my house, we like to say thanks to God for the food. And, and sometimes instead of saying our prayers, we sing our prayers. There's several songs we sing, but one of the favorite ones that the kids love to sing is this little song, Jehovah Jireh. Y'all know the song? You got to clap when you're singing it. And the words say, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Your grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, your grace is sufficient for me. Jehovah is this traditional rendering of the word Yahweh, which we've already met in the book of Exodus. Everybody say Yahweh. Yahweh means he who is. It comes from God's self-revelation as I am who I am. What it's saying is that God is the self-existent, all-sufficient, eternal source of all reality and being. He's the fullness of life. You can't exhaust God's resources. The word Jireh means provider. So when we sing Jehovah Jireh, we're saying there is an all-sufficient God of limitless resources who has promised to provide for us. Which is why even when everything is terrible, you can still sing Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Your grace is sufficient. Your undeserved kindness is enough for me. Doesn't matter how bad it's going. God has shown them His glory. And as the self-revealing God reveals His glory to this people, this self-revelation is accompanied by a promise and a command. This is common in Scripture. The promises and commands of God go together. 
The promise is this. I will give you miracle bread from heaven six days a week for as long as you need it. That's the promise. The command is this. Each morning, go out and gather enough bread for just one day. Just one day. Why not for two days? Because what they're learning is how to trust God. Actually, the text says that God is testing them with this command and promise. And that's in verse 4. And this is the word test that we ran into last week. I said I wanted to translate it refine. Everybody say refine. God's refining them in the wilderness because the kind of testing we're talking about is not the kind of testing where you fill out a multiple choice quiz. It's the kind of testing where you take a hunk of precious metal and stick it into the fire. It not only reveals what's inside of you, it also transforms you. It refines you. So God, with his promise and command, is refining. He's purifying the people. And what he's trying to teach them is, trust me every day. So the command is, go out every morning and gather enough for just one day. Except on Friday. On the sixth day of the week, you gather enough for two days because the man is not going to be there on Sabbath. On the Sabbath day, I want you to learn that not only can you trust me while you're working, you can trust me while you're doing nothing. You can trust me while you're resting and I'll keep working. So he gave them the promise. He gave them the command. And here's how this works spiritually. If we trust God, we will believe his promises. I want you to think about that in your interpersonal relationships. People that you trust, when they give you your word, you believe the promise. Other people can say, I put that on my mama, and it doesn't matter what they put it on, you don't trust them, right? Whether or not you're willing to rely upon a promise depends on whether you trust the person making a promise. So if we trust God, we'll believe His promise. But now look how this works. If we believe the promise, we will obey the command that God has tied to the promise. If they believe that God's going to put bread out on Tuesday, then on Monday they'll gather enough for one day. If they believe that God's going to put bread out on Friday, then on Thursday they'll gather enough for one day. If they don't believe the promise, they're going to gather enough for two days. And then as we read in the text, when God says, gather enough for two days on Friday so you can rest on the Sabbath, um, they think, oh no, no, we've already seen this bread goes bad if you leave it out for two days. And everybody who trusts God and obeys His command finds that on Friday... The miracle bread lasts for 48 hours. And on every other day of the week, it goes bad after 24 hours. And, but there's fools both times who disobey the command of God. The reason they disobey the command of God is they don't believe the promise of God. The reason they don't believe the promise of God is they don't trust the person of God. The reason they don't trust the person of God is because they've been blinded by their sin. Even though God has shown his faithfulness, he's got a track record of steadfast love that he's shown them over and over. His glory has been manifested to them. The external work, this is important, everybody you need to hear this. The external work of God revealing his glory needs to be matched by the internal work of God's grace lifting the blinders from our eyes and helping us to believe. Now, this is real personal for some of us because some of you are here today. And if I ask you, has God been faithful to you in your life? You're going to say yes. But if I ask you right now, are you living by faith or are you grumbling against God, grumbling against others? Are you afraid? Are you disobeying God's commands ultimately because you disbelieve his promises because you don't trust him? If you're honest, you're going to say yes. And what I want to say to you is right now in this moment, I plead with you to stand on this particular promise of God, which is Luke 11:13. In Luke 11:13, Jesus says, which one of you, even though you're evil, when your son asks him for 
bread is going to give him the stone instead. Even though you're evil, you know how to give bread to your kids. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? So right now, if in your heart, you know the sin of unbelief has been blinding you. And that has been leading you to do all sorts of other stupid stuff where you think you're smart, but you're acting like a fool. Right now, all you got to do is just plead with God. In the name of Jesus, send your Holy Spirit to change my heart. And I'll tell you, when you stop praying, you actually never. I was about to say you stop praying when, when your heart is changed. But actually what you do is you just shift the prayer from God give me faith to God keep me trusting, keep me believing. But the promise of God comes with this. When you pray that prayer... And you ask the Lord, send your Holy Spirit to change my heart. Not just to show me the external sign of your glory, but to make me a person who can see it and believe it. God will answer. He's promised. He will answer when you pray in faith. So don't give up. Don't stop praying. And don't stop remembering God's faithfulness. And don't stop teaching it to your children. I'm about to wrap up. But one last point to be made before we finish today. In verses 32 through 36... Our narrative does a little time jump. It leaps into the future. And to a part in the story in which several things have happened that have not yet happened yet uh, in the timeline of the rest of chapter 16. There is no Ark of the Covenant yet. There is no Tablet of the Testimony yet. But later on in the story, God's going to give the Ten Commandments. There's going to be the Tablet of the Testimony. They're going to have the Ark of the Covenant and manna is going to be set next to the Ark of the Covenant. But the timeline in the book of Exodus jumps forward for a second at this moment to make a point. This story that God is the provider, that he's Jehovah Jireh, was not just for the wilderness generation, but for every generation. And one of the main things it means to trust that God is faithful is to teach it to your kids and to their kids after them. We need to pass on the stories of God's grace and His faithfulness and His love. Don't forget. Don't forget. Just like last week, the spiritual lesson that we end up taking away from this text is don't forget the goodness of God. Or to put it positively, remember the goodness of God. Especially when you're going through dark times where everything is terrible. You've got to remember the promise of God. So everybody turn to your neighbor and say, remember your children. Uh, no, don't remember your children. Well, you do remember your children. I forgot that. Say, remember God's goodness. And teach it to your children. Remember God's goodness. Teach God's goodness to your children. Also remember your children if you've got some of them. Remember God's goodness. Teach it to your children. One generation after the other. In Christ, we have... The fullest possible revelation of this truth that God is the provider. As we get ready to go to the Lord's Supper, just take a moment to pause and reflect on all the needs Jesus has already met for you. What does Jesus provide for us? We were sinners who deserved hell. And Jesus provided his own life so that our sins can be forgiven. That... Gift of forgiveness never could have been applied to us, but Jesus sent a messenger of the gospel to teach you the gospel so that you could believe it. In that moment, when you heard the gospel, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to enable you to understand and believe the gospel. Has Jesus provided for you? When you believe the gospel, Jesus adopted you into his family so you never have to be alone. You have a community of love. You've got a family. 
Jesus provided the Holy Spirit to live within you, reminding you of your adoption, reminding you of your Father's consistent, steadfast care for you, teaching you, comforting you, guiding you and instructing you. Jesus gave you promises of eternal life. He gave you a hope that one day you will share with Him in the new creation. Jesus gave you the promise, in the meantime, if you obey Him, your labor will not be in vain. Even if it's hard and it's discouraging, your labor in Christ is not in vain, He promised. Jesus gave you the clothes on your back. Amen. I know it's hot in here, but somebody got to give me something here. We're talking about, am, am I the only one Jesus has provided for? Has Jesus given you the clothes on your back? Has He given you the food you eat? Has He given you the place that you live? Friends, Jesus has not dealt with us according to what we deserve for our sins. He's dealt with us according to His mercy. So remember the faithfulness of God. Ask the Spirit to align your heart with the reality of who He is so that in every season of life, you will be able to sing from the heart what my kids like to sing before we meet, uh, before we eat. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, your grace is sufficient for me. It's enough. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you for your steadfast, unfailing love. In good times and in bad times, you are with us. You love us. You're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. We praise you, God. And we ask that this word of the Lord would go down deep into our hearts, transforming us from the inside out and freeing us to live by faith. Even as we go to the Lord's table now. Strengthen us, Lord, to believe the glory that has already been manifested to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.